is a universal term. It includes various types of fitan. If someone is stuck in a fitna, they are referred to as maftoon. This person is maftoon. What does that mean, someone being maftoon? It means him being in a tribulation. What type of tribulation? Various types. Someone, for instance, could be maftoon with wealth. Love of wealth to the point that they love wealth more than anything else. This is a type of fitna, one type. Love of wealth to the point that they prefer wealth over everything. There are people who will be maftoon with wealth to the point that they will give more importance to wealth than their own children. It's a type of fitna. Now so for someone to say that they have no attachment to wealth, it's a big claim. Why is it a big claim? Because most of the ahkam, legal rulings in Al-Qur'an al-Kareem, most of the legal rulings in Al-Qur'an al-Kareem have been left to be explained in the Sunnah of Rasulullah Like in Al-Qur'an al-Kareem, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ Establish the prayer. But then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam said, Sallu kama ra'aykumuni yusalli. Pray as you observe me praying. The Quran commands us to do the Hajj. But Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam said, Khudu anni manasikakum. Take from me your rights of Hajj. Every most of the ahkam are detailed in the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. But there is a legal body of ahkam that has been detailed in Al-Quran al-Kareem. What legal rulings are those? Those are the legal rulings relating to ahkam al-mirah, inheritance rules. That the ahkam, the legal rulings of mirath, have been left in the Quran in detail. In Surah Al-Nisa. Why in Surah Al-Nisa? Because most of the time people would undermine the rights of the women and Nisa. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ahkam of mirath in Surah Al-Nisa. So people do not undermine their rights. <coughs> but why was that done? Someone may say today, I love my brothers more than I love wealth. I am loyal to my brothers. And then what happens? Their father passes away and they begin to dispute over the inheritance. A person claims he loves his sisters more than wealth. The mother or the father passes away, they dispute with their siblings the division of the wealth. Similarly, a family member dies, they dispute the inheritance laws, a man dies, he leaves a wife. The wife is entitled to one-fourth of his wealth. Sometimes the parents would want to undermine her inheritance share. So this happens amongst human beings, it's a type of fitna. If people didn't love wealth more than 
most things, then why would the longest verse of Al-Quran Al-Kareem in Surah Al-Baqarah, the longest verse in Al-Quran Al-Kareem, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, ila tadayantum bidayin ila ajrin musamma, to the end of the verse, which mentions, وَاتَّقُوا wa وَيُعَلِّمُكُمُ اللَّهِ This is the longest verse in the entire page of the Qur'an. What does it relate to? It relates to contracts in business. <coughs> Today, look at the state of the Muslims when it comes to business. In previous times, in ancient times, businessmen, they would go, Muslim businessmen, they went from Yemen and they went to Singapore they went to Indonesia, Malaysia, and they went to the coast of India. What did they end up doing, these Yemenis? Making hundreds and thousands of people accept Islam, enter the fold of Islam. But today, in the time of fitan, tribulations, Muslims have become dishonest with trade. They love wealth more. If they didn't love wealth more, then tell me. Why do people go to earn quick money through haram? As if they have no reliance on Allah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will sustain them and give them rizq. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will sustain you. Everyone says this to the point that it is a cliche today that everyone says, I love, uh, I know Allah will give me my rizq. But then if that was the case, then why are our inner city areas filled with people who sell drugs for quick money? Muslims own the houses, they make money after people renting. And then the people dealing the drugs to those same people are Muslim youth also. And then after a while, of a, 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 a time of earning money, what do they do? Then they open up a business as a front later. What they believe, they are cleaning the money. And then what happens? They feed their children that money. With that money. So they, when you feed your children with money which is earned from haram, what will happen is another type of fitna in the end of times. Sometimes some people, they find ibadah difficult to do. They find the ibadah so difficult. Waking up for fajr, salat al-fajr performing salah. Why? Because sometimes the earnings are haram and they are consuming haram, so they everything in them, their flesh, their blood is all from haram. Then what happens? The admonition doesn't work on the heart when they hear Quran and Sunnah. It doesn't affect the heart. When they hear the recitation of the Quran, it doesn't affect the heart. Because of all the haram that they are earning. This is love and attachment to wealth, material wealth. Acting as if we are here forever, meaning in this dunya forever. To the point that people will give <coughs> verdicts which are incorrect to validate haram acts. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited so many things that we may indulge in. But khawfu rizq, khawf min qillati rizq. Fear of lack of risk is one of the madakhil shaitan, one of the entry points of shaitan, where people fear that they will have less risk. Similarly, in Akhirul Zaman, people 
They will follow their desires to the point that they will commit zina. And when I mention zina, I mean it as a broad term. Anything to do with haram. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا zina." Do not even approach a zina. إِنَّهُ كَانَ فَاحِشَةً وَسَاءَ سَبِيلًا Indeed it is what? Fahisha. Immoral act. وَسَاءَ سَبِيلًا And a bad way of relieving your desires. So like people have desires for money and assets. Because remember someone may sometimes not be greedy outwardly for money. They would want assets. Taking people's watches. Taking cars, having houses, all these kind of things, attachment to that, having a nice mobile phone, all these material accessories. Then there is the desire for what? Zina, committing zina, fulfilling the desires of the private organs. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do not even approach it. Why? What is the outcome? How many young men have carried out zina? and they have impregnated young women and abandoned the child. In some cases, the woman is a non-Muslim woman, so she will raise the child as a non-Muslim. It happens. In one case that was brought to me, a young man impregnated a non-Muslim girl. The parents, they did not want anything to do with the girl or the child. They said, we do not even want to go near them. But what was the correct procedure? Performing firstly the nikah, performing the nikah, and then convincing the young, she was a Christian, so the nikah was valid, then convincing the girl to become Muslim. Now that child is being reared as a Muslim. Why does the Sharia prohibit people from committing zina? Because when you have sex, you must have sex with responsibility. There is responsibility in that. But when men do zina, they have no responsibility. And it causes what? Corruption on the earth. One of the types of corruption is illegitimate children, but there are other types of corruption. It even leads to killing. This is why Imam Abdul Rauf al-Munawi, Rahimahullah Ta'ala in Fayyul Qadir, he mentions in the end of times, the hudud will not be carried out. Today on the earth, the hudud are not carried out correctly. Because there is no khilafah. And what will happen when people indulge in zina to the point that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will create within their societies murder. When murder increases in a community, sometimes it's the result of zina. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا zina." Do not even approach it, do not even go near it. Do not impurify yourself to the point that when a person does dua, they do dua and they wonder why our ad'iyah, our prayers are not even being accepted. Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala withholds the rain from the skies and when the rain is withheld, we carry out Salat al-istisqa or dua al-istisqa When you do the dua, what do they tell you? They say, bring the young children, bring the animals. 
Why the young children and the animals? Because these two are sinless. They, they are not doing sin. The animals and the young children. But everyone else is indulging in some kind of sin. But zina is such a sin that when it becomes rampant, it leads to murder. This is a type of tribulation in the Akhir Zaman. Then, love of leadership and power. Love of leadership and power. Even if it takes a so-called religious form. Rasulullah said in a hadith narrated by an Imam Abu Dawood and an Imam Ahmad in his Musnad that ma that two hungry wolves ursila fil that are dispatched in a flock of goats two hungry wolves that are dispatched in a, in a flock of goats bi afsada are not more corrupting than a man loving wealth and status. Wealth and status are two tribulations in Akhir Zaman that they affect a person that sometimes it can blind them. It blinds them to the point that they will do acts which no sane human being will ever do. Look in history. Ubaidullah bin Ziyad, the governor of Al-Kufa under Yazid, what they did with Ahlul Bayt in Karbala, blindness to the point that they martyred 72 members of the Ahlul Bayt and those who were with Ahlul Bayt at the time. That blindness of love, of leadership and wealth, to the point today that people become intoxicated with the dunya, that then the hearts become hard, the hearts become hardened because of the sins. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Kalla bal rana ala Indeed, or rather, bal rana ala This word ran. Rasulullah describes what is the run and the heart. It is the darkness caused on the heart by the acquisition of bad deeds. When they acquire the bad deeds, it causes such a spiritual darkness that Al-Imam Ibn Ata'illah Al-Iskandari states the likeness of this is like a room which is painted white. You have a fire the fumes of which then they, they cause darkness on the walls. This is the effect on the heart. And then it leads to what? Weakening of the Iman. The Iman becomes weak. When Iman becomes weak, then a person rejects things. Like if you tell them Zina is Haram, they will say, if they reject that, they become kafir. They leave the fold of Islam. This is why anyone who actually leaves Islam, you will notice, no one ever leaves Islam except that they love something more than they love Allah and His Rasul So the essence of Iman is what? Love of Allah and love of Sayyiduna Rasulullah 
When you love Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam more than anything else, then no matter how sinful you are, eventually you go back to the ones you love. And this is the meaning of al-mardu ma'aman ahab. The person is with the ones he loves. What do you love more? Do you love Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam and anything associated with them? Or do you love everything else, meaning the shahwat, the desires? Ultimately, you notice all misguidance in Akhir Zaman is what shahwat desires. Some people think that if I become multazim in someone who acts according to the deen of Allah, I will be, this will be difficult for me and life will become difficult. This is one of the waswasa of shaitan, one of the whisperings of shaitan in the hearts and minds of people. That they think by being a multazim Muslim, a multazim meaning someone who acts on the Quran and Sunnah, they think my life will become difficult. In reality, your life will not become difficult, your life will become easier. And the shaitan is hiding this from you, this fact. How will your life become more easy? When you leave the materialistic rat race, the madness, Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes those who eat riba. Regarding the, those who eat riba, الَّذِينَ يَأْكُلُونَ riba, That those who consume riba, لَا يَقُومُونَ إِلَّا كَمَا يَقُومُ الَّذِي يَتَخَبَّطُهُ الشَّيْطَانُ مِنَ الْمَسْلِ That they do not stand up except like the one that the shaytan has what? Possessed from touching them. What happens? That today, you go to London City, someone, even mortgages today, everyone asks about mortgages, as if it's a simple thing. They do not see the national effect of mortgages. How, when the interest rate goes up, someone has a job, they lose the job, they cannot pay, keep up with the payments, not everyone has uh, the Baradi system, remember that. Not everyone has a, a committee that they give every month and then the money comes back and then they, they could pay make payments. What happens when they cannot keep up with the payments? The banks repossess the homes. So to maintain payments, mortgage payments, People need to work, but they work beyond their capacity of 12-hour shifts, total madness, to the point at the end a man is bolded and grey-haired, and at the end he clears his mortgage. Because the mortgages are not now as they were previously, 10,000 pound, 40,000 pound, now it's ridiculous, 240,000 pound, you buy a small three-bedroom apartment in a uh, house in Alam Rock, it will cost you, you're paying extortionate amounts of money. You become a wage slave and you pay the river and then what happens, you start bombing. People get depression, their hair turns grey, they have various problems in their lives. By the time their mortgage is cleared, by the time the mortgage is cleared, the children have grown up, 
And what happens that the children in watch in later generations, if it's not happening already, they'll place the person in another people's home. Yes, his function has finished. He's paid off the mortgage. Then they fight over the house. The man dies, they fight over the house, they sell the house, they divide 40,000 pound, 20,000 pound each, and everyone goes their own way. That's the value of the worldly life. That's the value of the life people are living. Now, when the value of life is such, the hearts, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describe those who consume ribas that they stand up like you know, sometimes I wonder, sometimes you have Mulbis who have like 20 houses on mortgages. They have 20 properties. And I wonder, how did they earn all that money? Because I'm a Mulbi as well. To this day, I don't have my own property. I wonder, how did they earn 20 properties? I do what they do. But what they do is they, they get a house on mortgage, they put tenants in the house, the tenants pay off the mortgage. Everyone, you all know the trick. We're all from the same community. We know what they do. But when that person pays off all these houses, they never live a life of tum'anina, of what? Itminan, of tranquility. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ala and the dhikr here is Qur'an. Behold, with the dhikr here, the hearts will find what? It's Qur'an, because the Qur'an says, A dhikr, indeed, we reveal this dhikr in the Qur'an, and we will indeed preserve the Qur'an. Yes, the Qur'an, imagine, Everyone turned away from their mobile phones and they just started to open the Qur'an and recite the Qur'an and act on the Qur'an. <coughs> Last week I was walking up, so I'm based in Spartan Mosley area. I'm walking up the road and there is a young man, one of the windows was open and he's reciting the Qur'an from the house. And of course I became happy because someone is reciting the Quran. And what happened, I said, imagine this road. Every house, every house had a person reciting the Quran. Young people reciting the Quran. The old people will recite the Quran because they have nothing else to do now, apart from watching Geo News and reciting Quran. That's what they do, watching Ramadan news all day. You know, what's happening in Pakistan, they live here, but they watch Pakistan news. Yes? But the younger people, they are all on WhatsApp and TikTok and Instagram and all these various social media tools, which is a fitna at the end of times. Because Shaitan uh, inspire people to distract you all the time, do haram. So what happens? The, the hearts have become darkened because of the sins and what does Al-Qur'an Al-Kareem say? أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ أَمْ عَلَىٰ قُلُوبٍ أَقْفَالُوهَا Do they not reflect over the meanings of the Qur'an? أَمْ عَلَىٰ قُلُوبٍ أَقْفَالُوهَا This is a rhetorical question. Or do the hearts have locks 
Are the heart sealed? The answer is yes. If your heart is distracted, all the time you are distracted, you have various distractions, shahwat, desires to fulfill, you will never find the Quran so interesting because the heart has become hardened. The dhikrullah is not penetrating the heart. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describing those people, they are standing up like the shaitan has possessed them. Now, what happens is some people they misunderstand. They say, these ulama are telling the people not to earn money. This is incorrect. If that were the case, then why would the longest verse of the Quran be about trade? You should earn money. But at least earn halal money and earn it correctly to the point that you do not become negligent of Allah. You do not become ghafil of Allah. That if you have a business, when salah time comes, inna salata kanat ala Indeed, the prayer for the believers is a fixed time. You pray your salah in the business. And this is why at the end of their business day, if you own shops on Almrak Road and earning halal, you should take the Sahaba as role model because the Sahaba were either farmers, they would farm like the Ansar, or they, they had herds of goats and camels, or they would do jihad in the way of Allah. Or they were tradesmen, they would trade tijara. And at the end of the tijara, at the end of the day, they would read which, which surah of the Quran? Surah Al Asr. They would stand up at the end of the day and they would recite Surah Al Asr, Wal Asr, this chapter, and conclude their trade for the day. Why? What does Surah Al Asr mention? In the insana, in what? In khus, that human beings are in what? Khus, lust. Except to illa amanu wa Except those who believe and they do what? Good actions. So the trade never distracted them from Allah. But I will tell you this. When you earn a halal, there will be more barakah in your wealth. When you earn halal, for instance, a man he earns halal all day. He comes home only with 50 pounds. But he will go home and what will happen if his wife tells him your son is ill, he will say give him an aspirin, let him take water and go to sleep. His wife presents food, it's lentils, dal. It's the dog is happy, alhamdulillah, goes to sleep. Another man is earning four, five hundred pounds a day, but by lying, by cheating, drug money, whatever money. He comes home, his wife tells him, your son is ill. He says, oh my God, take him to the hospital. They take him to the hospital, he panics. At the end, there's nothing wrong with the child, but nevertheless, the reaction is no barakah. Similarly, at night time he cannot sleep because he's worried regarding his dishonesty. 
The best food may be presented to him, but when he eats, he has no digestion. He has various health problems. There is no baraka in his money. There's no blessings in the money. <clears throat> when you steal money from people or you lie to them or you cheat them, you may eat, but there will be no baraka, there will be no happiness in your life. This is why people are living miserable lives. People wonder why they are so miserable. They are miserable because they are disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are miserable because they are not engrossed in dhikrullah. They are miserable because they live on earth like they are here to live here forever. They are miserable because they are not preparing for the eventual destination which is the grave. They are miserable because when they go to the janazah, it just becomes going to the janazah because I'm showing my face to other people. You are not going to the janazah because you are taking a lesson of al isti'adad uh, preparation for death. You are not attending khatmul Qur'an to actually recite the Qur'an. You are only going to eat and show your face to the relatives. When in reality, Khatmul Qur'an, the people go to the to the Khatmul Qur'an, recite the Qur'an, and donate the Qur'an to the dead relative. Now it becomes a ritual just to go and eat. Because of this, people live miserable lives. And then their children punish them even more. The children grow up, they become selfish human beings because you raise them to be selfish. When you raise your children, with the goal in life that all your goal is to earn money, then when you become old and annoying, they will put you in an old people's home. Because you have raised people who are selfish. They do not judge things according to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Indeed, the most noble of you is the one who has the most taqwa. The one who has the most taqwa. Let me give you examples of inverted culture. Inverted culture. Some of you must have realized that sometimes what happens, if Salah time comes in, there are five or six people sitting down. Two or three get up to pray. When they stand up to pray, they fart. One of them may just pray his father and miss the sunnah. Some of the people will reprimand him, they will say, why haven't you prayed your sunnah? They will say, why didn't you pray your sunnah? But they will not reprimand the people who didn't even pray their fart. Yes, this happens commonly. When Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu an, Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an, they said anyone who abandons salah is a kafir. They said anyone who abandons salah is a kafir. Today we live in an inverted time that if you have someone praying their fault, but he doesn't pray sunnah, people will reprimand him. He should pray sunnah, but they will reprimand him. But when someone abandons their fault, they do not tell him off. They do not say you need to pray your fault. From the age of 10, every child in the house must be told, if you do not pray your fault, you will be disowned. 
your salah from the age of 10. But in this day and age, what we have, we have people, a whole generation of people who do not pray. Look in Pakistan what happens. They sit around while the Adhan goes on. The Adhan will happen, not a single person will get up to pray the Salah in the Masjid. This is the so-called Islamic Republic. People will not stand up to go and pray Salah in the Masjid. But when Sayyidina Umar did not even deem the person who misses his Salah as a Muslim, when he wrote the letters to the armies, he wrote to them that the first important thing for you is what your Salah. You do not miss your Salah. But today in the inverted culture, what we have people leaving and abandoning the fard, the fard of the deen, which the first thing is the Salah. Never abandon the prayer. This is the first thing we should be inculcating in our children. That when they grow up, you tell them that the most important thing for you is to pray your Salah. Never abandon your Salah. Not other things that we may tell them, encouraging them in other things which are not as important. And you, some people only realize this at the time of death. And some people may not even realize it at the time of death, what was important in our lives. Your risk is guaranteed. Once there was a person, he went and prayed in a masjid, and he prayed for days and days behind the Imam. After a while, the Imam asked him, how do you earn a living? The man said, let me repeat all my prayers that I have been praying behind you. He said, why? He said, why are you asking me regarding something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guaranteed me? Meaning your risk is guaranteed. When you were born without clothes, without food, today you are sitting in a masjid with clothes and with your stomach full. Did you plan all of this? Answer is no. Someone else planned it. Someone else ordained it for you. Someone else destined it for you. So why are you worrying now what is guaranteed for you in the first place? By abandoning the, the fara'il uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has obligated. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa described the fitan, the tribulations that they will afflict the hearts to the point that people, when their iman becomes weak, then they leave and abandon the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Today, we have numerous tribulations. One of them is when young people, they decide to abandon the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They decide to leave the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala based upon their desires. So some people, they think, the hadith and the sunnah is made up. So they say the Quran is sufficient. We only need the Quran, we don't need the sunnah. Then you ask them the following. If the Quran was sufficient, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That the thief, the male thief, and the female thief 
amputate their hands. Now, we as Muslims know that what this means is what? That if the person steals something, the value of that thing must be a certain amount. If the person steals food, you do not cut off his hand. If it's a child, if you caught a child stealing an apple from your shop, does the ruling apply? The answer is no. There are so many conditions. How do we know the conditions? From the Sunnah of Rasulullah. So, similarly, the prohibition of dog meat. How do we know dog meat is prohibited? Rasulullah foretold a tribulation. In the Sunan of Imam Abu Dawood, he tells us of a future situation that soon shall happen that a man will be reclining against his couch with a full stomach. Why is the full stomach mentioned? That someone who has a full stomach tends to follow the desires. And the man will say to the people, take the book of Allah. Whatever the book of Allah permits, permit that. But whatever the book of Allah prohibits, prohibit that. You do not need anything else. Rasulullah warns the people that whatever the Messenger of Allah has prohibited is like what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited. Why? Because that is also revelation. So what is prohibited? Every fanged animal, every animal with a fang is prohibited. Every animal with a fang. You won't find that prohibition in the Quran. You find it in the Sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this is a type of tribulation that people today, they abandon the Sunnah. They say the Sunnah is not necessary. Then what they say is if the Sunnah guided people, then why do we have so many disputes? The source of the disputes is not the Sunnah of Rasulullah but the nature of humankind. The nature of humankind, Al-Mushahidin, people who are troublemakers, is such that even if you said, let's follow Al-Quran Al-Karim only, there will be many people who will then cause disputes with regard to the interpretation of Al-Quran Al-Karim. So, abandoning the Sunnah of Rasulullah is one of the tribulations that occurs in the end of time that people will abandon the Sunnah. But we as Ahl Sunnah wa Jama'ah, we take our guidance from Al-Quran Al-Karim and the Sunnah of Rasulullah Rasulullah said, Alaykum bi Sunnati. That you must follow my sunnah and the sunnah of the rightly guided caliphs after me. Who are they? Sayyiduna Abu Bakr, Sayyiduna Umar, Sayyiduna Uthman, Sayyiduna Ali, Sayyiduna Al-Hasan, radiyallahu anhum ajma'in. And then Sayyiduna Ali and Sayyiduna Al-Hasan also fall into Al-Itra. And Rasulullah said, I have left behind Kitab Allah wa Itrati. So that includes Al-Imam Ali and Al-Imam Hassan also. Because they are part of the Itra, the Ahlul Bayt. So their guidance is such that, for instance, 
We, how many adhans did we have at Jum'ah time? One. We have two. Yes, how two? One is done first, and then later on one is done in front of the member. In front of the member. In the time of Rasulullah the adhan was only done in front of the member. Then what happened when the development, when the city developed and expanded, Sayyidina Uthman with the consensus of all the companions introduced the second adhan. But that is Ijma' al-Sahaba. The consensus of all the Sahaba Ali Ridwan were alive at that time. The first Adhan was given and then people had enough time to congregate and gather in the masjid. And then the second Adhan was given. This is by Ijma' al-Sahaba. How do you even validate this? This is valid because Rasulullah said, you must follow the Sunnah of Al-Khulafai Rashidin Al-Mahdiyin. The rightly guided caliphs which includes Sayyidina Uthman and even the Shia cannot object. Why? Because Sayyidina Al-Imam Al-Hassan and Sayyidina Al-Imam Al-Hussein they fought jihad under Sayyidina Uthman They went on expeditions, they went to Libya under the command of Sayyidina Uthman As young men, they fought jihad under Sayyidina Uthman In fact, very rarely mentioned today by the Rawafi. I'll give you an example of the unfair nature. Everyone knows that Sayyiduna Imam Hussain was martyred on the 10th of Muharram. What date was Sayyiduna Imam Hussain martyred upon? Place your hand up if you know. What date, Islamic date, like Imam Hussain? was martyred under the 10th of Muharram. Al-Imam Al-Hassan was also martyred. What date? 5th of Rabi'ul Awal. Yes? I'm sure that's the date. But the point is, the emphasis the Shia only place on Al-Imam Al-Hussain, we at the Sunnah al Jama'ah place it on all the Ahlul Bayt. That Al-Imam Al-Hassan his role is as significant as Sayyiduna Imam Hussein The role of Sayyiduna Ali is as significant as his two sons. Meaning they are all equal in this regard. That is the Ahlul Bayt, the family of Rasulullah So that is another fitna in the end of times that you have people who do not follow the guidance of the Ahlul Bayt. <coughs> How do they discard the guidance of the Ahlul Bayt? I'll give you an example. Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu anhu, on the member of Al-Kufa, over 200 people narrate from him. And the member of Al-Kufa said, anyone who gives me superiority over Abu Bakr and Umar, then I will lash him. Over 200 people relate this. So the aqeed of Ali is to accept the superiority of Abu Bakr Siddiq and Sayyidina Umar Similarly, how do they abandon the guidance of Ahlul Bayt? That Imam Ja'far Sadiq 
His maternal grandfather is whom? On his mother's side. Who knows? Put your hand up if you know. So in one in the masjid, one person at the back. Two. Is Sayyiduna, Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq Yes? So what logic is there for an Imam Ja'far Sadiq to curse his maternal grandfather and those who claim to be the followers of an Imam Ja'far Sadiq to curse the maternal grandfather of the Imam? The answer is it's illogical. <coughs> Thirdly, Al Imam Al Hassan radiallahu an and Al Imam Al Hussein radiallahu an after they made sulh with Muawiyah every year they would go to the house of Muawiyah in Damascus and they would eat food with him and Muawiyah gave 200,000 silver coins to Imam Al-Hasan and he never gave that amount to anyone else. So if Imam Al-Hasan and Imam Al-Hussain made peace with Muawiyah that is the guidance of the Ahlul Bayt. Yes? So in the end of times when people say they follow the Ahlul Bayt, they should not follow the, the misguidance of those who curse the companions Ali Muridwan, who go against the guidance of the Ahlul Bayt. Like I mentioned, those who reject the Sunnah, then you have those who reject the guidance of the Ahlul Bayt also. Then, Another fitna in the end of times is false claimants to prophethood. Rasulullah said, Ana khatamun nabiyin wala nabiyya ba'di. I am the last of the prophets and there is no prophet after me. Likewise, Rasulullah said that there will be around 30 people, false people, who shall come throughout his, throughout time who will claim prophethood. All of them will be what? The judging, I mean the judges. Recently, the most recent prominent one was Mirza Ghulam Ahmed Qadiyani from Qadiyan in Indian Punjab. In Al-Quran Al-Kareem, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says ma kana muhammadun ma kana muhammadun ma kana muhammadun aba ahadin min rijalikum yes that muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is what not a father of anyone aba ahadin min rijalikum walakin rasulullah wa khatam al-nabiyyin However, he is what? The Messenger of Allah. What? Khatam al The finality of Prophets. And Rasulullah said, La Nabiya Ba'di. There is no Prophet after me. Some people ask a very absurd question. They say, if there is no Prophet after Rasulullah, how will Isa descend in the end of time as a Prophet? The response to that is very simple. That he was declared a prophet before. So his return does not entail a new prophet. There is no new prophet after Rasulullah. This was a major fitna and is a major fitna today. 
that you are claimants of prophethood, that people who claim to be Anbiya similar to this fitna, tribulation, is false Mahdi claimants. That sometimes you have people who claim to be guided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the point that they will claim to be the Mahdi. Like what happened with Juhayman al-Utaybi. Juhayman al-Utaybi was a young man in, in modern day Saudi Arabia in, uh, in the 1970s who would read the hadith himself and attempt to construct an understanding of the hadith from his own mind to the point that he made a small following around himself. They went in the country areas, two to three hundred young men. They convinced themselves that Muhammad al-Qahtani, the brother-in-law of Juhayman al-Rudaymi, is the Mahdi. And then what did they do? They smuggled in small arms into Al-Haram al-Sharif, Al-Masjid al-Haram, and they hijacked the masjid in 1979, the year 1400 Hijri, when the new Islamic year entered. This man was deluded, but you have other people who are deluded like him, like you had Gohar Shai. Gohar Shai was a man who came here in the 90s to the UK, he died in the 90s. He also claimed Mahdawiyah, claiming to be the Mahdi. This is a point of delusion that people begin to follow these people. Now Rasulullah said, The best of generations is my generation. Then those who come after them, and then those who come after them, meaning a salafu salihun. Our deen is from Kitabullah, from the Sunnah Rasulullah from the Ahlul Bayt, from the Sahaba Al-Kiram Ali Muridwan, from the companions of Rasulullah and of course from the way of As-Salafu Salihun, the pious predecessors. When we ever examine any issue, we look to the Quran, we look to the Sunnah, we look to the Imams, Al-Imamu Salafi Salihin, like the likes of Al-Imam, Abu Hanifa, <coughs> who can give me the name of an Imam Abu Hanifa here? Yeah, put your hand up if you can. You know the people are putting up their hands on my students mainly. Anyone other than my student, put your hand up. Now tell me, uh, how, I'm going to ask you the name of it. How, how many of you here are Hanafi? Put your hand up if you found the Hanafi school. How many of you follow the Hanafi school? What are you Shafi'i? Are you Shafi'i? What school do you follow? Hanafi? Yes? Most people, yeah, yeah, do you follow Hanafi school? Okay. Anyone who firstly should know that the name of an Imam of Hanafi, you will say your Hanafi should at least know the name. An Nu'man bin Thabit. Was he correct? Yes? Well done. An Nu'man bin Thabit. Yes? What year was Al Imam Abu Hanifa rahimullah born in? What year? You can shout out the year. Anyone? 80 after Hijri. Yes? 
He passed away which year? 150 Hijri. I would advise the masjid at least hold a horse of Imam Abu Hanifa every year. Yes? Sha'ban time, hold the horse of Imam Abu Hanifa This is something every masjid should start. Horse of what? Of who? Al-Imam Abu Hanifa meaning an anniversary, remembering him. Similarly, you have Al-Imam Malik bin Anas, Imam Dar al-Hijrah. You have Al-Imam Muhammad bin Idris al-Shafi'i. You have Al-Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal. But then you have multiple students of this. You should be familiar with these Imams. Similar to this, the scholars who compiled the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi like whom Al-Imam Muhammad bin Ismail al-Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala Al-Imam al-Bukhari Muhammad bin Ismail al-Bukhari born in the year 196 Hijri and passed away in the year 252 Hijri the compiler of which book? Sahih al-Bukhari, which is known as the full name is what? Al-Jami'u, Al-Musnadu, Al-Sahihu, Al-Mukhtasaru, Min Umuri Rasulillahi, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Wa Sunanihi Wa Ayyamihi. That's the full name. Known as Sahih al-Bukhari. Every Sunni should know this. If we say we are Ahlul Sunnah and Jama'ah, we should know the words of Hadith and Sunnah. Similarly, the Sahih of Imam Muslim, Imam Muslim bin Al-Hajjaj Al-Kushayri rahimahullah ta'ala, the student of Imam Bukhari. <coughs> we should know what these two books are. Similarly, the works of the Sunan, like the Sunan of Imam Abu Dawood, Suleiman ibn Ash'ad, Al-Sijistani rahimahullah ta'ala, the Sunan of Abu Dawood, Similarly, Al-Tirmidhi, his work Al-Jami' by him, Al-Imam Abu Isa Muhammad bin Isa bin Sawra, Al-Tirmidhi rahimahullah ta'ala. Unlike this, Al-Imam Al-Nasai, Abu Abdul Rahman Ahmad bin Shu'ayb Al-Nasai rahimahullah ta'ala. We should be familiar with these people well. These were some of the foremost Ulama of As-Salaf al-Salihun, but there are so many others, like Sufyan bin Uyayna, Sufyan al-Thawri, Abdullah bin al-Mubarak, Fudayl bin Iyad, Iyad, Ibrahim bin Adham, so many different A'immat al-Salaf al-Salihin. These are the people who preserve the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Familiarize yourself with these things so it becomes a common knowledge in order that you can safeguard yourself from deviancy when people come out with new things which were never heard of from before. So, to conclude, in Ayyam al-Fitan, this time that we live in, we are bombarded firstly with false desires, the desires that I mentioned in the beginning of the speech, and then if it's not desires, it's false ideas, false concepts. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the future to cover uh, issues like atheism and 
secularism, all these type of ideologies also some other time inshaAllah ta'ala aqulu qawri hadha wa astaghfirullah wa lakum wa we do the right Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to preserve the shaykh, give him a long healthy life. Amen. This was a reality check. And do not think that learning knowledge and gaining knowledge, this is only appointed to ulama ikram, to those who are practicing. Rasulullah sallallahu has mentioned that gaining knowledge, seeking knowledge, this is fard upon every Muslim. So we do dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to increase us all in knowledge. I just want to make a couple of announcements. Uh, firstly, I want to express my gratitude to all the brothers, to all the sisters for attending, especially our alam al-Ikram, uh, and especially our Imam, Imam Bilal, who helped me organize this program. And those who also uh, shared the posters and contributed, I don't want to mention the names just in case I miss out someone and it's against Adab. And also on the 20th, uh, 20th of August, which is Sunday, uh, there will be a dars of Ashifa uh, by Mawlana Anis Ahmed. This is open for brothers and sisters, so please do attend. Ulamai Kalam are sacrificing their uh, time from their business schedule. We should at least sacrifice our time and sit in the company of Ulamai Kalam. So this is on Sunday, 20th of August. Uh, Alhamdulillah, also this masjid. Uh, was under, it's still under construction, but uh, it's coming to an end. And Alhamdulillah, all the work has been done under the supervision of Khalifa Saftar, Harun Dabi Barakatu Wallahi al-Azim, day and night they are spending time in this masjid. Day and night, they have done all this work themselves. At this age, they are doing this work. And Alhamdulillah, from, from Fajr till, uh, till 4.30, they will be working. And then from 4.30, uh, till 7.30 they will be monitoring the madrasa class. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve them too. Ameen ya Rabbil Ameen. Inshallah we will just look like Salat Islam and then we will perform Salat al-Maghrib. Straight after Salat al-Maghrib there will be a dua and then inshallah food will be served. I don't want anyone to go without food inshallah. We have catered for everyone. Ya Rasul Salam Alayka Ya Habib Salam Alayka Salawatullah Alayka Hadihi Dunya Tazulu Walbaqa Laysa Subhanallah, Allah, 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 Allah,